This is a beautiful place called Echo Point in Katoomba in New South Wales. And that is the Blue Mountains of New South Wales. And they're called the Blue Mountains because they've got this blue hue about them. And as the day progresses, as the sun sets, um, it, it changes colour. But I just love this place. And on my day off, often in Sydney, I would drive just north of Sydney into the Blue Mountains to Katoomba. And I'd spend the day walking around the Blue Mountains. And this is the most famous place in the, the Blue Mountains called Echo Point. Now, you see the three rock formations on the left? Those are called the Three Sisters. And the Three Sisters has an Aboriginal legend. And the Aboriginal legend that comes out of the the Aboriginal tribe that's based around Katoomba is this. That actually, one day, a gentleman who was the tribal witch doctor had three daughters. And in order to feed them, they had to go down into the bottom of the valley. And so he left them at the top of the hill. He went down into the bottom of the valley. But in the valley lived a monster, what they call a bunyip. And unfortunately, the tribal elder, the the father, managed to wake the bunyip. And the bunyip came out of his hole, came running out, and he saw these three girls stood on the top of the hill. And he decided that they were lunch. And he headed his way towards these three girls. But because this man was the tribal witch doctor, in his pocket he had a magic bone. And he took out the magic bone, he pointed it at the girls, and he turned them into stone to protect them. So the bunyip, as he's heading towards these girls, realized that they've been turned to stone and he can't eat them anymore. So he decides he's going to turn on the witch doctor instead. And so he turns around and starts running after the witch doctor. The old man wasn't very fast. And so he turned himself into a lyre bird, which is the next slide along. And a lyre bird's a very fast bird and they are all over the Blue Mountains. And he put the bone in his beak and he started running away. But as he's running, he drops the bone from his beak. But he carries on running, believing that he would go back again and find it. The bunyip goes back to his hole. The man escapes. And the old man then comes back, trying to look for the bone. And the Aboriginal legend says, he's never found it. And still, in the form of a lyrebird, He's roaming around on the valley floor looking for this magic bone. And that's the whole reason the girls were never turned back into beautiful girls. And still they wait, waiting for their father to find the bone that will transform him back into the father and the girls into beautiful daughters. And so you end up with these three pillars that have been there for eternity. Interesting little legend, isn't it? Interesting little legend. I'm not quite sure that I take anything on it, but I do know that the magnificence of these stones and this beautiful scenery, almost creation is yelling out. And I can understand why Jesus, when he entered into Jerusalem, said that if you make me tell my disciples to shut up, even the stones that are around us are going to cry out in praise. 
I do like the story of the Aboriginal legend of th the three sisters. There's something that's just beautiful about it. And it's not just the only place in the Southern Hemisphere where I discovered there were legends and stories to tell that gave rise to creation's formations. Okay, it's just a legend, but for many, those three pillars of stone are stones with a story to tell. And on the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem, there were three occasions here in Luke chapter 19, as we've read it, that spoke of crying. Crying. And the first occasion came as Jesus entered the city on a simple donkey. We're all very familiar with the story. And when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was making it very clear to all who had witnessed that he was God's anointed king. He was telling them very plainly, I'm the Messiah. The whole procession was carefully planned. The donkey was not there by chance. Nor had it been stolen by the disciples. It was prearranged. Jesus had made the arrangements in advance to ensure that the prophecy of Zechariah was fulfilled. And as he rode defiantly into town, the people sang Psalm 118, the Psalm of the Messiah. They cried out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Jesus was actually coming to celebrate the Exodus Passover. And yet for him, his entry into Jerusalem to face his destiny was heralding God's new Passover. God's ultimate act of deliverance. And even though it would mean his death, and he knew that, he knew that as he was riding in, it was still the moment of God's salvation for the world. And no matter how Jesus was feeling, personally, nothing was going to stop him and others celebrating God's saving grace. You see, that day, praise wasn't a choice. Praise was a necessity. Praise wasn't a choice. It was a necessity. He wasn't going to stop his disciples shouting. And even if he did, the pebbles would shout out instead the chorus of praise. There would be stones with a story to tell. Of course, as we've read over the last few weeks as we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, this little group of Cynics of religious teachers, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they wanted to stop the celebration. But Jesus was having none of that. No way. Not going to happen. And in so doing, Jesus reminds us on this day the importance of always celebrating the gracious work of God in our lives. I wonder... Are we so keen to talk and shout about the gracious work of God? As that song that Adam and Louise taught us earlier that reminds us that you are good. Do we always tell of God's goodness? Are we always singing it from the rooftops? You see, praise is not a choice. It's a necessity. Nothing was going to stop Jesus' celebrations. 
And I'm challenged as I read it. Do I celebrate God to the full as I should? Do we celebrate God to the full as we should? What is it that stops our celebrations? You know, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that most of us are quite fed up by Brexit by now. But actually, one thing that I've learned in all of it is that some people have an amazing ability to bounce back when we think that's the end. I have no idea how Theresa May is still the Prime Minister of this country. I thought many, many months ago she would have gone. You have to hand it to Mr Farage. He's certainly a character who knows how to bounce back, doesn't he? I certainly thought I'd seen the last of him. But no, Thursday, here in the West Midlands, he announces himself as back on the scene. And one of the comments that I read from one of his supporters said this. He speaks for me and he's not afraid to shout it. He speaks for me and he's not afraid to shout it. You know, thankfully, on the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem, his followers were very vocal. The stones didn't have any need to cry out, even though Jesus said that they would if they had to. They didn't have any need because the followers of Jesus were very vocal. I wonder what we as followers of Jesus shout about nowadays. Or is it a case of the stones have to do our shouting for us? So the first time that we read of crying is the stones crying out. But the second occasion that Luke mentions crying is in verse 41, a passage of scripture that most people are familiar with. It's one of those trivial pursuit questions, isn't it? The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. This time it's not the stones shouting and crying out, it's Jesus himself. And as Jesus came to the city, as he looked over it, he could do nothing but weep. He couldn't help it. The people before him were so desperate for change, and they assumed the answer to all their problems was for the Roman occupiers to be overthrown. And for them, if this external thing changed, then life would change. But Jesus saw it very differently. The root of the problem for Jesus was not the Roman oppressors, but the people themselves. And Jesus knew that God's way of intervention was not going to be a victorious battle. This wasn't the WWE rolling into town. This wasn't going to be a big punch-up with the Roman Empire. No, 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 no. God's way of salvation would be to bring about change within God's people themselves. That was the revolution that was coming. How many times do we try and change things by changing external things? We maybe move house or we change jobs or change our car if we're not happy, hoping that a change to circumstances might be a change from within. And it doesn't always work, does it? You see, God's way to save his people is not to save them from the Romans, but to save them from themselves. Let me say that again. God's way was not to save the people from the Romans, but to save them from themselves. The history of Israel 
is scattered with trouble. You pick up the Old Testament, you read it. There's deliverance, false commitment, more deliverance, bit more false commitment. Every fresh chance that God gives, they seem to spurn. Every whiff of trouble they bring on themselves. And here, as Jesus looks out at them, we read two simple words, Jesus wept. Tom Wright, in his commentary, describes this verse as the core of the Christian gospel. The core of the Christian gospel. Jesus weeping is the core of the Christian gospel. Because he says, as the tears rolled down Jesus' cheeks, these were the tears of God for those who chose to turn their backs on him. These were the tears of a God moved by our sorrows. And more than anything, these were the tears. These were evidence of a divine yearning to want to help and save us. I can understand why he calls it the core of the gospel. Because these few minutes reveal the heart of God more than anything else. The Savior crying over the people. The last occasion that Luke spoke of crying was not crying as in the form of tears, nor was it the crying as the form of praise. Actually, the last occasion was crying was cries of anger. Because as Jesus entered the temple, what did we find him doing? Yelling rebuke at those in the temple because he could see what was going on before his very eyes. He cried out. He was angry. He was mad. This whole issue of righteous anger. Rogues, crooks, conmen stood alongside each other, plying their trade. Who was Jesus actually shouting at? There's the question. Who was he shouting at? The traders? Sure he was. Actually, this was the voice of social justice, wasn't it? This was Jesus, the man bringing about social justice. He wouldn't have had any issues with the trading because it was an important part of the worshipping life of the people. They needed to go purchase their sacrifices or do other things that they needed to have in order to worship in the temple. So he wouldn't have had any issues with it. What he had issues with was the manner in which they were doing it. It wasn't fair. They were charging more than they should. They were taking from people who were poorer. Reminds us, doesn't it, that God's people should always be ready to shout on social justice issues. Things where we see that there are things happening that are wrong in our society. So who was Jesus shouting out? The traders, yes he was. But also he was shouting at the temple authorities. He was shouting at the, the priests. Because for generations the temple had stood there as an unshakable promise from God that he would keep Israel safe. And for the temple priests and for the hierarchy that ran the place to allow these practices that were going on flew in the face of all that the temple stood for. All the genuine promises of God that this place was supposed to represent. 
They might have been observing the traditional worship patterns, but it was empty tradition. It was empty. Their trading might have had all the trappings of religion, but actually it was hollow. They observed the traditions, but where was the faith? Where was the true worship of God in that place? Where was the divine communion amongst the religious observance? Where was the divine communion, the communion with the divine, the almighty, alongside the religious observance? Listen, Jesus wasn't rejecting the temple, nor was he rejecting the tradition. Tradition was essential to the faith. But actually, when the tradition becomes more important than the faith, it actually fails. Now, there's a challenge, isn't it? When the tradition becomes more important than the faith itself, it fails. The cries that Jesus actually wanted to hear in the temple were not exchange rates. He didn't want to hear them shouting, two for so many, two for so many, three for so many. No. What he wanted to hear crying out in the temple were godly conversations of grace with God the Father himself. You see, God was in the building. But did anybody notice? Is there any wonder Jesus was annoyed? Is there any wonder he cried out? No. This morning, I brought to you three occasions where Jesus cried on that Palm Sunday. And today, Jesus invites you and I not just to walk with him, but he invites us to cry with him. Just as he and his followers did, he invites you and me to celebrate the mighty works of God abundantly. And as we remember the things that God has done and his saving work in our lives, we should stand with him and cry out in praise. Cry with me, he says. But he also shows us the importance of being able to demonstrate our sorrow. And I have to say to you, I say it to myself as well. It's important to acknowledge that too often as followers, we reject him and we do our own thing. And to lament, to express our sorrow is an essential ingredient to honest faith. I believe that. I believe it's also necessary to spiritual formation. If Jesus wasn't afraid to weep when so moved... And even though we might not shed physical tears in our heart, we should never be beyond the realm of being moved on those occasions when we have rejected God. Do we? Jesus says, cry with me. Cry with me. Realize that actually at times we do reject the Savior. Cry with me. And finally, in our church today, Jesus stands with us and he says to us, make this place a house of prayer. Make it be a place where faith is celebrated for what it is. Not tradition, but faith. 
And he says, join me. Let your voice be heard. Engage in real, meaningful, purposeful conversations with the living God. Forget all the other chatter. But instead, engage with the Almighty. Don't let your cries be hollow worship today. But cry out to the divine and know him to have a conversation with him. Three cries. This morning, Jesus simply says, cry with me. Will you? Will you cry out in praise? Will you cry out in sorrow? And will you cry out in conversation? Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we come before you and you've presented us with quite a challenge. Having for many weeks been considering this whole idea of walking with you and seeing what it means to be part of the kingdom. Now, instead of walking with you, you say to us also, don't just walk with me, but cry with me. And you remind us of the importance of celebrating your mighty works in our lives abundantly. And so today we remember the things that you've done for the saving work that you have come about in our lives. And so we cry out in praise and we say, thank you, Lord, for being our savior. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your goodness. But Lord, you've also reminded us of the need to be able to demonstrate our sorrow. To recognize that there are times that we have not actually followed you, walked with you. We've rejected you. We've done our own thing. And so this morning we very sincerely express our our need for forgiveness for the times that we haven't done what you would have us do. And this morning, as you weep sometimes over the things that we do do, may we come to you and apologize and say, Lord, forgive us. And in our church today, in this place, we would want that this be a place where communication with the divine is a reality. And we pray that you'll help us to engage in real, purposeful, meaning conversations with the living God. Let's put aside all the other chatter, the cynicism, the gossip, and all those other things. But instead, let's make our worship genuine and make our conversations meaningful. So, Lord, we stand here, and today we want to cry with you. Thank you for allowing us to do so. Amen. And amen.